Bibles, turn with me. Turn with me to the book of 1 John chapter 2 and also Genesis chapter 3. If you're not here last Sunday, or didn't watch or listen, I encourage you to go back. You will you have more context about the, the nature of the message. If you were here last Sunday, then we're going to continue to finish. We're going to finish, Lord willing, that the sermon that the Lord gave us on Lead Us Not. Wasn't last Sunday a powerful day? Wasn't it a powerful day? Lord willing, we'll finish it today. Lead us not. Today I want to talk about the, the, the last, the two and three of the tools, the weapons the adversary has. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I want to deal with eyes and pride today, if the Lord will help me. I will remind you by way of introduction that the, the serpent was cunning, he was subtle. And at the root, the reason he's cunning and subtle is because his goal is to make sin make sense. This is why John wrote in the book of John, 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things of the world. The love of the Father is not in that person who loves the world, for all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And if the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I will remind you that the lust of the flesh is the desire for what the flesh wants. And your flesh is at war with your spirit, man, person. That there is a desire according to your flesh. And this is not to pretend it's not there. This is not the absence of desire. There's something inside of you and me that desires it. And to act like we don't desire it is not scriptural. Because most of the time you will never conquer what you refuse to confront. So we get in here and we get so spiritually minded like we can never do anything wrong and then our flesh sometimes feels stronger than our spirit and we wonder why we fail. It's not because we pretend it doesn't exist. We acknowledge it so that our spirit man can know how to overthrow it. The danger of following after the lust of our flesh is our flesh is never satisfied. I said this last Sunday, you can fulfill as much desire of your flesh as you want to, and within about three or four days, you will desire it again. Right. Have you ever gone to a buffet? My, mm. <laughs> Have you ever gone to a buffet? Come on, we're going to elders retreat, you know what I mean? We're going to our elders retreat. Our, our prayer starts out at the beginning of every meal is, Lord, Father, we thank you for this opportunity. By the end of our prayer retreat, the prayer starts out, Lord, here we are again. Uh -oh. you ever ate a Paula Deans? Come on, people of God. Yeah. Right? Yeah, eat a Paula Deans, eat at some bu buffet, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to eat again. We'll give it about 24 hours. Because yeah. it's never satisfied. You... You can watch as much porn as you want. You can go on a porn binge, and within three or four days, three or four weeks, you'll be right back desiring it again. Why? Because your flesh is never satisfied. You can drink every bottle of alcohol in the ABC store that they're building a mile down the road from here. 
And within three or four days or a week, you'll begin desiring it, craving it more. What am I saying to you? I'm saying when you give yourself to the lust of your flesh, the problem is your flesh is never fulfilled. It's never fulfilled. I want to move today to the lust of the eyes. In Genesis chapter 3, here we are. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to one to make wise, she took of its fruit, and she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. The Bible says that the fruit was pleasant to her eyes. That word pleasant in the Hebrew means that she saw it with her eyes and then longed for it in her heart. We're not acting like we're all blind here. And I've got friends of mine that I love dearly that every time they see something that is pleasant to their eyes, they go, Lord, pluck my eye out, lest it offend you. There is not the absence of pleasant. I don't care how much of a man you are that is in love with your wife. Men by nature notice when a woman walks in the room. Y'all not going to talk, but that's okay. You don't have to be a pretty woman. You don't have to be an attractive woman. You do not have to be a young woman. We are naturally drawn with our eyes to look and to see something that's come through a woman walk through the door. Our eyes will naturally do that. The problem is not when your eye gate is operating. It's when you allow your eye gate to be open and it moves from being something you notice with your eyes to something you begin to desire in your heart. When Eve saw that it was pleasant and began to long for it, her resolve was weakened. What's one bite? Come on, what's one taste? How serious can the consequences really be? The problem is that if I'm looking at it, I'm not looking at him. If I'm focusing on it, I'm not focusing on him. And watch whatever we, we watch whatever we look, want to. We, we look at whatever we look, look to. We, we focus on whatever we want to. And, and, and there's a word that is really dirty and ugly in 2023, but it held me for a lot of years. And that word back in the day was called holiness. Listen, holiness is to be set apart for something, not to be set apart from something. Okay, it's already quiet. Praise the Lord. When I'm walking in holiness, I'm walking because I understand that I'm being set apart for something. I'm not being set apart from something. And I don't know what's happened in our world where we have church folk that aren't focused on what is the strategy of the enemy with the lust of our flesh and the lust of our eyes and the pride of life. Because we can just watch anything today. Pastor, you are preaching today, amen. We, we watch anything. The problem is when we open our eye gates, it moves from what's in our eye. In the Bible, uh, people say that, that, the, that the eyes are the windows to the soul. And what will happen is you will allow your soul to become vexed or drawn and desire to begin to long for things that are contrary to what should grieve the Holy Spirit in you. How is it 
that we can entertain something with our, with our eyes. And it doesn't grieve Holy Spirit in us. It's not going to grieve your flesh. It's going to feed it. But it should grieve Holy Spirit in us. Okay, here we go. It was a few years ago. A few years ago, this, this TV series came out. <clears throat> and I'll name it because I'm feeling frisky. A few years ago, this, this TV series called Game of Thrones came out. And it became a huge craze and became a major thing that was happening. And everybody trying to watch it and do all this kind of stuff. I'm like, you know, I like the whole medieval thing. I like the whole mm, fantasy. I'm a Marvel guy by nature, those kinds of things. So I'm like, well, baby, I mean, I've gotten so many people in the church that have told me it's incredible. Let's try to watch it. Oh, it's tight in here now. another testimony too. I couldn't, I couldn't make it past the first 30 minutes of the first episode. And, and truthfully, we tried three times to watch it. Well, maybe let's just skip that part. Well, by the time we skip that part, we landed into the next part. To the next part, and then, oh, it was that part too. And I'm looking at her, and I'm like, this may not affect you the way it affects me, but Holy Spirit on the inside, I'm not that saved. I'm not that saved. I can't look at all that going on in a brothel. It's been years since I've watched it, and I can still visualize it. Okay, here we go. Because I'm not that saved. I'm not so holy that I can watch all of that on TV and it not affect me because our world is so driven by our vision. We're so visual by our nature because, and the enemy has used it to exploit our sensuality and our sexuality. The problem is when I'm focused on it, I cannot continue to keep my gaze on the Lord. Well, it just doesn't affect me the way it affects you. Next, next Sunday, you preach it. But as for me, there's stuff I can't watch because I will begin to desire it. Okay. This is why he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Do you know what that word walk means? It means in the Greek to be occupied with. That we are to be occupied with faith, not occupied with our visuals. We're to be occupied with faith, not occupied by our social media. We're to be occupied by faith, not occupied by our platform. We're to be occupied by faith, not occupied by ministry. We are to be occupied by faith, not to be occupied by our perversion. We're to be occupied by faith. We're not to be occupied with other things. And when I walk, when I am occupied by the things I'm looking at, I'm not occupied with the things God is building in me. Look at the text. Because movement is determined by either my faith or my sensual desires. 
I will move based upon faith, but I will also be moved based upon what I've given my eyes to. This is why Job said it this way in Job chapter 31. He said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Oh God, help me, Holy Spirit. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? I've made a covenant with my eyes. Listen to me, it's not the first look that gets you in trouble. It's not the first look that gets you in trouble. You can't help what you see, but you can help what you stare at. Hear me today. And it's not to say that there's not something worth looking at. The problem is, is it worth looking at more than worth looking at what he's doing? And if what I'm looking at is to draw me away and I become occupied with it, I cannot be occupied with what he's doing in my life. Therefore, I have to make a covenant with my eyes. Make a covenant with my eyes. I've told this story before, but I'm feeling frisky, so I want to tell it again. I was working out in this gym down in, down in the Fort Myer area. And I had to find a gym to go work out at. And I went to this one particular gym. I went to the Y, and I can't, I can't, I can't work out in here. Somebody tried to take me to L.A. Fitness. I didn't know that L.A. didn't stand for what I thought it was for really big people. Uh, but it, the L.A. didn't stand for really big people. Some of y'all go get that on the way home. But I, I walk in there, I'm like, I don't even, I didn't even try the first day for free. I'm like, nope, I can't even mess with this one. Hallelujah, let's get up out of here. So I started snooping around, started asking people, said, hey, where do the old people work out? So I found it, Leroy Springs Complex, found it. It was all old people and soccer moms. And I'm like, praise the name of the Lord, this is where I'm going to work out in the name of Jesus. I'm sitting there, I found me a workout buddy, his name was Ed White. God rest his soul. He had a stroke. He was paralyzed on one side of his body. So he was my workout buddy because I knew I could outlift him. I could outrun him. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's the truth. It made me feel really good about myself. <clears throat> he was also a very brilliant man, engineer, just incredible mind. And I can tease like that because I cut up with him all the time. Like, Come on, babe. Where you going? Let's go, Grandpa. Come on. Come on. <sighs> it's terrible. Pray for me. And we're sitting there one day, and you, know, you don't have to worry about your eyes. You don't have to worry about what's going on. I always would put worship on, or I would listen to sermons and all that kind of stuff in my head. But, but a lot of it, I was really focused on spending time with Ed because he was such a brilliant, brilliant mind. <clears throat> and I needed the investment. I needed the investment. So I'm sitting there with Ed. We're working out. And, and you don't have anything to worry about. You can look all over the gym. Yeah. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And I'm sitting there going, Hallelujah, I got we thank you, Lord, for this. All of a sudden, this one woman walks in, and she is not quite built like everybody else that's in the room. And I went, Oh my Lord. That was my oh my Lord. Put my headphones on, I turned on a sermon, I started pedaling faster, kept my head down. Ed leaned over, tapped me on the shoulder, said, You all right? I said, I will be. I will be. He said, listen, listen, I want you to understand something. There's going to come a day when a woman like that walks in the room and it won't bother you, affect you at all. I said, Ed, praise God for that. But right now, I need to make sure it doesn't affect me. I'm going to stay focused right here. He said, no, Glenn, you're going to get to an age where when a woman walks in looking like that, it's not going to bother you in one way. Ed, that's exciting news for me. I thank God for that. 
He taps me on the shoulder again. He says, you don't understand. You are going to get to an age. I said, Ed, what age is that? He said, I don't know. I hadn't got there yet. He was in his 70s. He was in his 70s going, I don't know. I hadn't got there yet. Listen, you don't age out of lust. Satan has been using that ploy. He's been using it for generations. Pastor, I just I hate it when you start messing with the women, telling the women what to watch, what to wear, do all this kind of stuff. Well, let me explain something to you. I doubt you've ever had to go to your pastor and say, pray for me, pastor. I saw that man's varicose veins and his calf muscles, and it did supernatural things in my life. As soon as I saw him in those Nike shorts and his varicose vein popping on it, I said, you ain't never gone through that. But we will look past that varicose vein. If you shave that varicose vein in a really nice way, Put a little orange tan on it for some of you that's got some pigmentation issues. We might look again. Okay, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. Something to be said. You go on a date, and she comes in, she hops in that car with you on that date, and she looking like Campbell Sue. Some of y'all got that one. Okay, good. All of a sudden, you ride, and he puts his hand over, starts grabbing you on your knee, your inner thigh. In the name of Jesus, you better put that thing off him. Then he slides over again, starts telling you everything you need to hear, starts sliding his hand over there again. You better grab Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Slap that joker right because you got to climb over all four of my brothers today. Hallelujah. And if he will jump the, the jump of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, grab him by the hands and go, Shata Babo, say, hey, your mama, hey, glory. I promise he'll take his hands off then. Promise he'll take his hands off then. Come on. Come on. Listen, what I'm saying is, is you got to determine what you're going to be occupied with. Are you going to be occupied with your sensuality because your eyes will allow your heart to begin to long what you're visually stimulated by. But listen, when I'm occupied, that means I have no vacancy. When I'm occupied, that means there's no vacancy. There's no room for anything else. I don't have room to fall down the rabbit hole of social media. When I'm occupied by my faith, I don't have room to fall down the rabbit hole of sensuality and perversion and chaos and confusion because I'm occupied. When there is no room, there is no vacancy. And then he goes to the pride of life. When she saw that the tree was good for food, she desired it. Her flesh desired it. Then she looked at it, it was pleasant to the eyes. And then it was a tree, a tree that became desirable. Look at this. It was good, and then it was pleasant, and then it became desirable. There was nothing bad that Satan presented in a bad package. 
He always presents it as a good thing. He always presents it as a pleasant thing. So that the ultimate goal is that it can become a desired thing. Pride of life. Pride is an empty assurance that trusts in your own power. It's an empty assurance that you can do it on your own. It's an empty, arrogant assumption that you have the best in mind for your life. Listen, pride will get you in debt. Pride will get you in debt. Okay, here we go. It'll make you buy what you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't like who aren't even watching anyway. It will, okay, I will. It will make you buy what you don't need, need with money you don't have to impress people you don't like who probably aren't even watching anyway. Pride will do that. Listen, are you saying that there's something wrong with having things? No. There's nothing wrong with having things, but it is dangerous when things have you. I remember sitting with a gentleman that was in our church, early on in our church plant. And the Holy Spirit arrested my heart. And I grabbed this man, pulled him outside of his business set in the grass in the, right outside one of the little islands of the parking lot of his business. And I looked at him and I said, Sir, hear me. You've been a great voice of counsel and wisdom to me over the years, but the Holy Spirit has come to me, and I, that's why I drove all the way to here to find you, to tell you you're playing with fire today. And if you're not careful, you're going to throw away the greatest things of your life for the sake of of something you're desiring. His eyes and his flesh were being drawn to another woman. That was not the concern of mine when I walked away from that encounter. He popped me on my shoulder. I'll never forget it. He said, Glenn, you be the pastor of them. I got this. I know what I'm doing. There's no way I will let that. This is, we're just having fun. I'm just cutting up. I'm just teasing. This isn't serious. Pop me on the side of my shoulder. You pastor them. I'm here to help you. I said, if you're my brother, heed this warning from the Lord. He stood me up, he hugged me, patted me on both shoulders and said, you don't have to worry about me. I got this. Today, it didn't take but about a few months and that pride cometh before his fall. Pride will wreck, wreck a marriage. 
You, you can hold on to your boundary and your, your party line if you want to. You, you can be right and she can be wrong. You can be right and he can be wrong if you want to. But pride will wreck a marriage. Pride will split a home. Pride will mess up your kids. Pride will destroy everything. Walking around talking about how free you are and we can't even hear your words because of all the chains clanging on the ground around you. Pride cometh before a fall. This is a terrifying thing for me. And I believe it's one of the reasons why we're sounding the alarm these last two Sundays. Because pride destroys everything. Just a few weeks ago, the president of our nation stood in front of the Capitol of the White House and made this statement and then took the time to post it on Twitter. Today, the people's house, your house, sends a clear message to the country and to the world. America is a nation of... I got truth for you, Mr. President. And we find it in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, not pride. Righteousness exalts a nation, not pride. But sin is a reproach to any people. It is righteousness that would exalt the nation. Pride is not our portion. I deny this on every account that we are a nation under God that is indivisible with liberty and with justice for all that is found through righteousness righteousness alone we are not a nation of pride there was one in the book of Isaiah chapter 14 named Lucifer that was full of pride and he said, I will ascend to the heavens and I will become like the Most High. He was the second one in the authority of heaven. But being second was not satisfactory because he got so good at worshiping God, he felt like he should become the God to be worshiped. The Bible says, Jesus said, and I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. Pride cometh before a fall. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. And it was pride of life. Now, if I was going to preach this message, I would just tell you, listen, Eve was responsible, not the devil, for her sin. It was her fault. She okay. I know nobody wants to be accountable anymore. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. Nobody. It was her fault. She fell. It was not her mama's fault. 
She fell. It was not her daddy's fault. She fell. It was not her husband's fault. She fell. It was not even the devil's fault. She fell. She made a conscious decision to go contrary to what God had commanded her to do, and she decided that that good thing, that that pleasant thing, that that desirable thing was the thing that she was going to gravitate toward, and when she did, she fell. She looked, listened, and then she looked, and then she lusted, and then she lost. There's a good little sermon for you. She listened, then she looked, then she lusted, and then she lost. She fell. Come on, Trey. And it became her sin. It became her sin that so easily beset her. Back early on in my marriage, when my kids were young, Em's from Columbus, Ohio. It's about a seven and a half hour, depending on whether they're asleep or not, a six and a half hour <laughs> drive. And this was before Life 360 and all this stuff that we have today. You drive straight up 77, get it all the way to Charleston, West Virginia make a couple turns and you can cut right over to Columbus. I would drive my, my wife and my young kids up to Columbus, or really the northern part of Charleston. Meet her mom and dad there, they would take them the rest of the way and I would come back because I was digging out ministry and youth ministry earlier. Hey, can we go back to there is no bondage? Can we do that? On the way home, this was back when we had a cash society too. We had a cash society and nobody following our GPS. We had pagers. I know, pray for me. On the way home from northern Charleston, West Virginia, there are about three billboards promoting a strip club called Southern Exposure. Full transparency, I've never, I've never been in a nightclub, I've never been in a dance club, and I've never been in a strip club. And the reason is because I knew I'd like it. And maybe you can't handle real, but I knew I'd like it. Early on in my marriage, I got young kids. My wife and I are trying to figure out what life looks like with young kids in an in intimate relationship between man and wife. I would drop them off in northern Charleston, West Virginia. And I would drive that usually in the evenings. And I would pass those very attractive billboards. And the enemy would get in my ear and go, it's good. It's pleasant. It's desirable. No one's ever going to know. Who do you know in West Virginia? I mean, y'all got issues anyway. She's not really giving you the attention. She's all about the kids. One night, 11 o'clock, the enemy gets me. Pull off. Exit 9 in West Virginia on I-77. 
pink building, neon lights, southern exposure, parking lots full. I got cash and no life 360. And I pull into the parking lot and I sit in the parking lot. And I'm gripped on the steering wheel. And the enemy's going, nobody knows you. Nobody, nobody will ever know who you are. You've got cash. Your wife will never know. People will never know. You can go in. Just go in. Everybody, everybody else has done it. Don't you just want to see what you're missing? It should be one time. And I sat there. You know, I do deserve this. I deserve to know what it's like. I deserve to have this kind of connection because I don't feel this connected to my wife in this season. Grab the door handle. Excuse me. Grab the apples door handle. And push the door open and I put one foot on the parking lot and Holy Spirit grieved in me. Pick my foot right back up. And I slammed that door shut. Kicked that thing into reverse. And I said, Lord, I don't know why that I even let the enemy take me this far into the parking lot. Nobody would. That was the greatest lie that the enemy told me. Is that nobody would ever know it was me. Today, there are hundreds of people all through West Virginia, thousands of them that are connected to this ministry, and many of them live within 20 minutes of that strip club. What test I passed determined what blessing God was releasing. Do you understand what I'm saying? It may have nothing to do with your now. It may have everything to do with the blessing that he's trying to release. What a damage to the testimony of God for me to walk into a strip club and then walk into the church and minister 20 minutes away and go, oh, I remember him when he came on that Friday night. I wasn't trying to do it for the sake of the ministry. I was trying to protect the sake of me. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the biggest one of all, the pride of life. There's this thing I've done so many, so many, almost my entire youth ministry. I would teach out of Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock, my strength, and my redeemer. I would, I, I taught that so much, but most people never listen to the words of 12 and 13 that set up 14. Look at this text. Who has an understanding of his errors? Do you know, I, I call this the sin slide. This is what I call this. It, it starts out with an error. Do you know what an error is? Oh, I made a mistake. 
I, I thought I had it, but I didn't have it. It popped up on me, man. I, I was zigging and zagging. It was late at night. I stumbled. I tripped on the corner of the bed. I, I, I didn't see it. There was something in my way. There was debris that I wasn't accounting for. Oop, oop, I made a mistake. Who has an under, oh, I made a mistake. But now that I made that mistake, I'm not going to kick that side of my bed again. When you have an understanding on the other side of your error, it will keep the sin from sliding any further. In all thy getting, get an understanding. But when that, sin, that error goes unchecked, look, it doesn't stay as an error. It moves to, now my prayer is, cleanse me from my secret faults. If an error doesn't have an understanding, it will slide to a secret fault. And do you know what a secret fault is? It's something that you do, but you're so ashamed of, you don't want anybody to know it. So, so it's late at night. It's in the dark when you're isolated and alone. You, you, uh, 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 you, you'll go and you'll hide off to the side, away from your family, away from your friends. You don't want anybody to know. You'll spray cologne all over you to make sure nobody catches the scent. You'll put eye drops in your eyes because you don't want anybody to know what it is. It becomes a shh, shh, secret fault. And the problem is that when you do things in secret, it doesn't stay there because the sin will make you slide and then it moves from a secret what was once an error becomes a secret fault but now look it has now become a presumptuous sin yeah I do this now, now you do it and it's sin and you got an attitude about it yeah so what that's just who I am really because six months ago it was what you do now it's who you are what was once an adjective to describe you is now a declaration of your essence and identity because the sin will not stay as an error it will not stay as a secret fault it moves to presumptuous sin the problem is ladies and gentlemen that the sin will continue to slide. It doesn't stay there until it has dominion. Okay? I put myself in the wrong situation. And curiosity and stupidity made me become same-sex interested, curious. Then it became what me and my friend would do when nobody was watching. Now, I'm gay. And now, all I am is gay. What you used to do now does you. It has dominion. So I can't go 10 minutes without my next fix because I used to do it. Now it has dominion and it does me. Dominion. 
The problem is, ladies and gentlemen, is the sin continues to slide. It doesn't stay there. This is why David said, then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent, there it is, of the great transgression. What started out as an error became a secret fault, became presumptuous sin, became dominion. But the goal is great transgression. In other words, it becomes so overwhelming, I will never be able to bounce back from. Still, kill. This is why the writer said, in light of the error, in light of the secret fault, in light of the presumptuous sin, in light of the dominion, in light of the great transgression, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, I don't even want to get to the error. Just, just protect my mind, God. And when my mind is protected, my mouth will be protected, God. And then I can avoid the errors. And even if I can't avoid the errors, at least you've already got my mind. Errors slide into secret faults. Sliding to presumptuous sin. I believe with all of my heart, Holy Spirit is showing you pictures of people in your own life or maybe yourself where you see where you have slidden or where they have slidden in these areas. This is why Jesus said, if you're going to pray, Matthew 6, pray. Lead us not but deliver us from who? From the evil one. The one that is doing all the presentation of the good, the pleasant, and the desirable. Deliver us from the evil one. Listen, Satan is like a serpent, but he's not a typical snake. Please help me, Holy Spirit. See, the difference between a snake and a snake versus Satan as a serpent is a snake will bite you and inject poison. But Satan doesn't bite you. He gets you to bite. He doesn't bite. You have to bite. Okay? He doesn't drink. You have to drink. He doesn't light it. You have to light it. He doesn't make you... He doesn't lay there. He makes you lay there. A snake will bite you and poison you. But Satan will make you bite. And that's how it happens. 
So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable because you're leading us not into temptation. But today, Holy Spirit, you are delivering us. Heads about, eyes are closed all over this room. I believe that there's an exposing of the schemes, the strategy of the adversary today. You can play the game if you want to. It's your choice. But he's been doing it for thousands of years and you've been doing it for 15 minutes. Today, I believe Holy Spirit wants to deliver you from flesh lusts. Your eye gates today are being closed and become occupied with the things that God would have you be pleased with. And today I believe that there is a systematic dismantling of pride that he is wanting to tear down he exalts the humble, but brings low the proud. Thank you, Holy Spirit, as some of you are in very humbling seasons because he loves you enough to not let you fall. On the other side of prideful living. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Speak, Lord. Your son, your daughter is listening. Deliver us, God, today. Oh, hear me, presumptuous sin. You can be broken in the name of Jesus. Oh, hear me, spirits of dominion. Your grip can be broken by the power of the blood of Jesus today. Hear me, great transgression, where your sin has abound, grace doth much more abound. Errors be unlocked today. Secret faults be exposed in the corridors of the hearts of your sons and daughters today. Strategy, schemes of the adversary be exposed to your sons and your daughters today, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Stand with me all over this room if you're physically able. Listen, pull, pull that just a little bit. 
I want you to hear me. When I feel what I feel, when this, when this mantle, when this anointing, this type of anointing sits on me, I come off very... Because I'm, I'm, I am a stronghold breaker. I am, a, I, am, I am going to confront spirits. And all throughout these last two sermons, I have dealt with eight or nine very specific sins. And if I hit the one you or a loved one struggles with, let's just call it, okay? I throw up the nation of pride. I felt the resistance immediately. Saw the rainbow. I remind you, the rainbow is a picture of God's promise, not a nation's perversion. And that hasn't changed as long as this book hasn't changed. Hear me. Hear me. But I understand the culture today. We celebrate bondage now. That's what we do. But I want you to hear my heart. I'm confronting sin. And I'm going to confront it with truth. And that is not hatred. That is not hate speech. That is not political incorrectness. That is prison opening, chain breaking, Holy Ghost freeing truth. And it hasn't changed. And I will submit to you uh, that Rome found out. I mean, we could go all the way back to the very beginning of where this perversion of confusion came in. Sin is still sin. And just because I confronted that spirit doesn't mean that there is anything but love for you. He loves the sinner. Because while we were yet sinners, he died. I understand. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about a family member. For some of you, I'm talking about a child or a grandchild. Hear me today. I'm confronting the spirit. So we know how to attack and to pray. Hear me, holy, help me, holy spirit. God delivers from that too. And we will not be entangled with the love of this world. But he will break the lust of the flesh. He will break the lust of the eyes. And he will break the pride of life off of all of us. Don't allow your, don't allow your dominion to become your defense. Don't allow your dominion to become your spirit of defense. You can be free. Your child can be free. Your grandchild can be free. The power of the Son of God, whom the Son sets free. Deliver us today, God. If you're grateful for that, lift your hands all over this room and just honor the King. Just honor the king all over this room. I want you to worship like they're free. I want you to praise him like you're free. There's not a bondage. There's not an addiction. There is not a stronghold. Come on, there is not a chain. There is not a prison. 
There is not a soul tie. Thank you, Holy Spirit. There's not an entanglement. Yeah, yeah. I come against the soul ties in the name of Jesus. I come against the soul tie, the entanglement, the ensnaring in the name of Jesus. We break the stronghold. We tear down the imagination. We tear down the imagination. We tear down the imagination. Deliver us from the imagination of it. Delivers us from the illusion of it. You don't need it to function. You don't have to have it to function. It, oh God, oh, he's the most high. He's the most high. He's the most high. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, somebody just worship, just thank the Lord, just thank the Lord. I'm asking for waves of deliverance to happen in this house today. I'm asking for waves of deliverance to make manifestation today. Being drawn away by our own lust. The devil is a lie. Standard be raised against the enemy that's flooding in. The standard be raised against the enemy that's flooding in. child is not hopeless your child is not hopeless your marriage is not doomed divorce is not your answer thank you Holy Spirit divorce is not your answer deliverance is your answer addiction is not your answer deliverance is your answer desires to sift you as wheat but I have prayed for you that when God brings you back up you'll be a witness to your brothers yeah. in the name of Jesus I want you to do me a favor I just want you to reach over and grab somebody on the shoulder, on the wrist, on the hands. If your hands aren't sweaty, just whatever. I don't care. And I want you to pray for them like you want them to pray for you. If you don't want them to pray for you, just sit there and don't say nothing about them. But I believe if two would touch and agree, supernatural things will make manifestation. You have no idea. If you're touching somebody, I want you to give them a squeeze. So I just, just give them a little squeeze. So I just want you to know what freedom feels like. There's somebody that's touching today that's anointed for this moment. 
And if the Lord releases a word of knowledge, the word, the, the word of the Lord comes to you with a prophecy, comes with a declaration, you have no idea. I believe he's breaking soul ties today. I believe he's giving you beauty for ashes. In the name of Jesus, you're touching freedom. You're touching deliverance. Come on, come on. You're touching deliverance. Soul ties are being broken today. Imaginations are coming down today. No fun. 